0: It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King.
1: Welcome to Crazy and the King, episode 24. Is that right? 24? Holy.
0: Yeah. At least that's what I have in my Google Drive. So, Me too. Uh, <laughs> 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 so so we're going to go with 24. How are you?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I'm a little bit green right now and you need to ask me
0: why. Oh, of course I'm going to ask why. Tell us.
1: Um, did someone I know interview Mr. Jerome the Bus Bettis this week?
0: Whoa, you saw that.
1: Oh, my God. Did I see that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Amazing. Tell me. Tell us about it.
0: All right. So listen. Um, so every single week, you know, I always end the show with, um, you know, catch me on SiriusXM channel 126 and I'll do it again this week. Uh, and I was actually asked to go out to Cincinnati last week for the Ford um, Foundation. Ford Motor Company has a foundation and they do a great deal in communities all around the country as well as internationally. And they have this exhibit that kicked off in Cincinnati. It's called the Men of Change. Uh, you can find it hashtag men of change or you can do hashtag men of courage and You know, the short version is it's an incredible uh, exhibit at the National uh, Underground Freedom Museum. I believe that's what it's called. National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati. It's an exhibit that's going to be there from this past Saturday, uh, August 17th to my birthday, which happens to be December 1st. And then the next city, it's going to be Tacoma, Washington. And one of the people that I I uh, got to interview in terms of some of the VIPs that were there happened to be Jerome Bettis, um, you know, NFL Hall of Famer, multi Pro Bowl recipient. I believe he's six time Pro Bowl recipient, sixth on the uh, all time leading rushers list. And we had an incredible conversation around, you know, his participation in men of courage, men of change, why he thought it was important. Why it's important to shift the narrative around black men uh, in the country as well as internationally. And I enjoy talking to her.
1: We will definitely share it on the Crazy the King Facebook page. I've always been a big fan of the bus.
0: <laughs> so. Absolutely. And, really good dude. Uh,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine. Um, and, and so that actually kind of brings me into, Torn, what I was hoping to spend a few minutes talking about this week. I don't know if if you've seen the 1619 series, I guess, that's coming out from The New York Times.
0: Yeah. So for our listeners out there, uh, you know, yesterday was a it was a big day in history. Uh, and just as a bit of a recap or or. You know, introduction for some. Uh, August twentieth of sixteen nineteen is when the first twenty or so slaves hit the shores of the United States of America, Virginia to be specific. And you know, it was one of those days where, for a lot of individuals who are connected to history, whomever you are, you recognized how important that day is and how significant it is. And and really, I take my hat off to uh, Nicole Hannah Jones with New York Times. She actually. Uh, is the lead reporter for that particular project. And Nicole Hannah-Jones, you can find her on Twitter at N Hannah-Jones. That's N Hannah-Jones. She said, quote, if you believe that 1776 matters, If you believe that our Constitution still matters, then you also have to understand that the legacy of slavery still matters and you can't pick and choose what parts of history we think are important and which ones are not. And so, uh, end quote. And so, Julie, 1619 August 20th, 1619, a big day.
1: This is something I didn't know. I, I have a history minor from from college and I did not know about the 1619 date. And it really got me thinking a lot. Torn, you and I are talking about, gosh, October. We're going to have talented people with disabilities that we're talking to and, and we're really going to be pushing National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And as I was thinking about this and prepping for that, it really occurred to me that as D and I leaders, we spend a lot of time celebrating the wins that we have now, the progress that we've made, but what I think that we shy away from and I'll I'll speak specific to specifically to disabilities since that's what I know, the history of our struggle and maybe with with black Americans it's also that a lot of history has been whitewashed so I don't want to make that same that same assimilation with with disabilities but I know that we spend so much time as DNI leaders trying to inspire people and bring people up and talk about what we're accomplishing now that I think it's so easy to lose the past and to to really recognize and empathize and understand as much as possible possible the struggle that it took to get here as Black Americans. And I think that's coming kind of full cycle right now.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, Julie, from the introduction of tobacco and you know, farming tobacco to cotton to dropping the cornerstone in the White House to cleaning people's houses in the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s to to where we are today. When you think about, uh, you know, millionaires and I know that there were certainly some millionaires during Black Wall Street and other millionaires in the early 1900s. But when you look at the economy at large, um, I think that if you if you went down the list of some of the richest uh, African-Americans in the country, the majority of them. I mean, the absolute majority of them on that list of the wealthiest people or those that were the wealthiest, that wealth was gained within the last 25, 30 years. And and so there's so much of our history that has been ignored. It has been whitewashed uh, and in part because the people in power don't want to have an honest conversation. No one really wants to be told That everything that they have is built on this right here. It is so much easier to simply point to and say, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and we live in a meritocracy and everyone has equal access. It is so much more palatable to have that conversation. It's so much more gratifying or comforting to say that those people over there don't want to work hard or these people have access to education and they choose not to take advantage of it. They are growing up in parents or less or missing parent households is so much more comforting to put the responsibility and the blame in another place. But I, I submit to every single listener. I don't care who you are. I just want you to step back and just, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but just look at every aspect of your life, banking, where you live, just look at it and just say, ask yourself the question. If, if my hand was tied behind my back. I had no clothes. I had a person who was an overseer. If I had to endure that for 200 years, starting today, you know, where would my lineage, where would they be? It really is important. And and I think you are so incredibly on top uh, on top of it, Julie, to say that we spend a great deal of time inspiring and motivating and encouraging and applauding. We do those things and those things are are extremely important because this work is tiresome. This work is daunting. It's hard. It's arduous. Um, It's less than gratifying sometimes, but it's equally as important that we we know our history. And and while I can speak with some degree of confidence and expertise about being a black man, I still submitted this week to learning through the 1619 project, because there were things that I didn't understand as it relates to traffic down in Atlanta and freeway systems all around the country to banking and how banking is. is. I mean, I have been my eyes were just like, wow. So it was a really, really big deal for me. I think the only other journalistic thing that I've read that has been close to as comprehensive as this was probably Tanahisi Coates's piece on reparations you know four or five years ago in the Atlantic outside of that uh, I I will tell you over the last five years there's nothing that's been in the newspaper that has topped this even the Boston Globe series that I often refer to from December of 2017 <laughs> nothing it, it just it This right here is incredible work.
1: Interesting, because I started thinking about how a few weeks ago you and I had the conversation about Colin Kaepernick, right? Are we going to talk about it? Are we not going to talk about it? And we all decided, like, that's not the hill we're going to die on. And I'm not rethinking that as a a conversation point for you and I and how we choose topics. But one thing that really stood out to me is on the 1619 is. The the bold statement that our history started 150 years before on the the backs of now Black Americans, then slaves.
0: Correction. Correction.
1: No, correct, please.
0: Enslaved, not slaves. Enslaved.
1: Enslaved. Thank you for that. No, thank you. I've never, never done that before. Never used enslaved versus slave. Thank you. On an enslaved people. And so... As we kind of hold on to that kind of founding principle of America, it says one of the essays is titled America holds on to an undemocratic assumption from its founding that some people deserve more power than others. And so does that change the conversation that you and I had a couple weeks ago about how we should engage a story like Colin Kaepernick? Is this 1619 project coming out of the conversations that Kaepernick started just a few months ago or a few weeks ago, even about not celebrating a flag that represents colonial America, but also America that had slaves.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, again, you ask a very good question and and I don't, I don't have an answer to that. You know, I agree. You know, my position was that Colin was making a big deal about the flag. It wasn't a pair of shoes that I would have purchased. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, that that was the position that I was I was taking. And I felt like, you know, Colin has done an an incredible job around social activism and being vocal around the injustice of police brutality, which we'll talk a little bit about uh, later in the show. But but again, I wasn't about to make a big deal around the shoe. However, like you said, and I didn't even put that together. You know, here I am looking at 1776 over and over and over again since Saturday and Sunday. And, and I didn't even make that connection. So I love your awareness and your presence and your reminding me and and that's what i want people to really take away from our podcast i don't want them to feel like you know we feel like we are at the 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 top of the mountain as it relates to dni strategy or that we are the primo most knowledgeable in this particular space but what i do want them to to walk away with is understanding that here are two people that decided to get together in january of this year to have a conversation genuine conversations around what's happening in our space, in our organizations, in the um, sphere of business or workplaces. And this is really what we're talking about. And if you are honest and connected to trying to be better, then you will take our podcast and you will share it because it's not like other podcasts. It's really around reminding you that we have these minor uh, infractions, these minor aggressions. We have these historical points. We have these, ah, uh, these truisms, if you will, this reality that, that we have to contend with. And, and we will not win this fight of being better people if we are continuously fighting with one another. Julie, you and I, we are trying to fight together, and I applaud and appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I I know your goal and my goal is that we both learn every week from each other and from our listeners and from the stories that we are bringing to the table in the interviews with the thought leaders that are coming every other week. I, I absolutely feel that way, and I think that we are are definitely or at least I'm learning every week for sure.
0: Yeah. So for all of you out there listening again, if you haven't done that, just type in 1619 project. That's one six one nine. The word project you are going to run up on a variety of commentary. You will find the uh, the work, the expansive body of work that hit the uh, newsstands a a couple of days ago. I want to say it was on Sunday morning. Uh, And again, hats off to Nicole, Hannah Jones and the entire team over at the New York Times. They really. Uh, put together an impressive body of work. And it
1: definitely won't be the last time that we talk about it in 2019, I am quite sure. So on that note, we have some more great conversation around Google. And some memos that have come up from a couple of ex um over the past few weeks. Torn, you want to give us a an intro?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the memo, and not the mem- memo by Miss Minda Hartz, her book dropped today, titled "The Memo." Uh, and so, if you're not, yeah, if you're not familiar with Minda, make sure you get a copy of her book, "The Memo." But we are talking about two major. Uh, brushes with the public sphere of through Google last week, you know, they had one memo uh, came from an individual who went out on maternity leave and uh, she chose to, to not come back. The memo is titled I'm not returning to Google after maternity leave. And here's why. Uh, And then the second memo Julie was from a Googler who says they encountered racism and that racism never, never stopped in quote. They never, stopped feeling the burden of being black while working at Google in it's New York City offices. So if if it's all right with you, let me just kind of jump in a, to a couple of high points from both of the articles. Is that cool? All right, cool. So the first one, again, is in reference to an individual that was on uh, maternity. Well, she was actually pregnant and she decided to go out on maternity leave. And basically what this individual said, Julie, is that 18 months ago uh, she was promoted after several high marks and glowing performance reviews. So we're not talking about an employee that was mediocre in any way. Uh, we're not talking about an employee who was fairly new to the Google organization. We're talking about a person who has some internal tenure, uh, has some internal accomplishment. Tenure and accomplishment have both been embraced and recognized and applauded by leadership at, at Google. She was even placed on a fast track to a level six position. And I'm not sure what a level six position is, but it means to me, to me, increased exposure, increased responsibility uh, amongst other things. And, and then what, what happened when, when she got promoted uh, she was reporting directly Uh, to an individual. And that individual that she was reporting to started making inappropriate comments about a member that was on her team who happened to be a mother. And unfortunately, this person who drafted the memo, she didn't feel comfortable. She was uncomfortable with her director, her immediate supervisor, making inappropriate comments about someone on her team. And she also wasn't comfortable with the fact that that person uh, that director wanted her to really usher, do things that would get that mother to quit, to quit, not you know, not not to motivate or to further shape or develop and inspire them. But the director was actually trying to get her to do the dirty work of getting the mother to quit. And so you know, she went to HR. And I think that that's the responsible thing to do. You document the infractions that cause you a bit of concern. You take those concerns to human resources and human resources is supposed to step in. But this is where we get to insert retaliation. And to make the memo short, you can read it for yourselves, but to make it short, that retaliation became very stressful on this young lady. This is a young lady who received high marks, who was on a fast track to becoming a level six. Uh, and, and, and the, the retaliation started to become stressful. She started to develop some health related complications, uh, associated with her pregnancy. And, and it just continued to go downhill from there. And she ended the memo, Julie, by saying, quote, I stood up for a mother on my team and doing so sent me down a path that destroyed my career trajectory at Google. And I want that to resonate with people. So not only is this director pushing her to push out another mother, but we have human resources that are not protecting this young lady um, or this mother. I don't want to be offensive, not protecting this well-documented and decorated mother inside of the organization, nor are they protecting the other mother that is on this particular team. They're not doing anything to shift the composition of the team and maybe move the director to another business unit or, and they're allowing this retaliation to fester and, and it manifests and, and finally grew to a point where now we've lost Google has lost an incredible employee. Second story.
1: Wait, hold on, hold on. That, that, whew, that, that one needs a whole kind of set of discussion. Okay. These are both so incredibly intense stories. We could have spent 30 minutes on each one of them. But a few things really stood out to me in the, the memo from the woman. The first one is that this is the second story that you and I have had in the last that have had retaliation from a executive leader from an, a manager trying to protect an employee with a health condition and or a disability. If you remember, we talked about the the person who um, got fired because their employee had anxiety. And so they both got laid off. Yep. And so... Apparently, this is not as unusual as I had thought it was when we first discussed that story. At what point are people several rungs down the ladder being hurt and injured, more likely women, more likely people with disabilities, more likely people of color, when their leaders are harassed and put in situations where they cannot protect their employees that they can't lead their employees second of all that the memo is really careful and correct me if i'm if i'm speaking incorrectly torn the memo was super careful about not revealing the gender of the person who was retaliating Right. So the, the the bad director, who was the bad director that pushed the leader to push out the the pregnant person?
0: You're right. It masked that. Absolutely.
1: Really careful. And that really stood out to me as interesting in, in the whole thing. And it could possibly be because the, the woman who's writing this, the pregnant woman who who resigned is fearful that anyone who reads it is going to read male gender bias into it if she talks about the fact her leader is a man. And then the last thing I'll say about that that really stood out out to me is not only right we're t- this is like a multi-level scheme almost to to retaliate against the the pregnant leader when she had a VP tell her stay on the team, stay on the team so that you can go ahead and we're going to transition your manager who's been retaliating against you out. And then that didn't happen. But what's really important is is that Googler had to take a lower position with lower performance just to keep working in a harassment-free environment. And by that point, her pregnancy was far enough along that there were a lot of complications. And I've been in a stressful work environment while pregnant. Absolutely takes a toll on your body. And it was certainly not as high of a pressure environment as I imagine Google is. And so you have a top top performer that you've now managed down to a much lower position. You've created massive amounts of risk for your company. And now you have eventually lost and now have bad PR. Was that one pregnant woman who is frustrating to that single manager, single direct worth all of this. And that's what what Google is not recognizing. They're not managing that middle manager who should have never been allowed to pull this kind of bullshit for a variety of reasons that are just based on being a better fucking human being and being a decent human being, but based on that there are massive business repercussions that just never get taught, never get analyzed in a traditional way when we think about impact on the company itself.
0: well, I won't say never, never. I will say that I will say that I haven't arrived to the status in this space where people treat me like an investigative reporter like I want people internally and I want you if you hear me, I want you to know that I want to be a trusted confidant. I'd like for people. To send us that type of data when they are sitting in those uh, strategy meetings and and those um, people management meetings and those people planning and talent mapping sessions, when they talk about, you know, attrition costs or retaliatory costs or potential litigation that they are facing, I'd love for a person to slide in, you know, <laughs> my secret email, if you will, and and share that information with us so that we do have an idea. These these stories are, are being discussed, explored, and hopefully organizations are starting to look at them in a way that is serious and they are willing to make the decision of getting the cancer out versus losing. And what looks like in this case, No less than two highly qualified individuals. But the the X factor is what's unpredictable here, because this memo, as well as the next memo that I'm going to share is being read by tens of thousands of people. Now, Google doesn't have any issue with getting talent or do they see it really depends on how you look at the equation. You can look at the fact that they get it, you know, millions and millions of resumes and people interested. But you can also look at the fact that they need talent. And they are losing some extremely talented people that are reading these memos. Let me hit the second one titled The Weight of Silence. And it argues that Google is lacking in diversity and that some of its employees make racist or least insensitive or at least insensitive comments about minorities. I I just found this one to be yet another strike against uh, an organization, small, medium and large that is not doing what needs to be done to just handle, you know, the inclusion factor. Here's a quote from the person who wrote this. It's an African-American male in New York city quote over the last five years. I've heard coworkers spew hateful words about immigrants boast unabashedly about gentrifying neighborhoods, mockingly imitate people who speak different languages, reject candidates of color without evidence because of fit the former employee wrote in a memo and the memo really starts Julie with his first few weeks of employment at Google which happened to be uh, right around the time that Eric Garner was choked out and died at the hands of police. And it goes on to talk about the snide comments being made in the office, comments around why these people in the streets, they are an inconvenience, why are they protesting, and yada, yada, yada. We won't go into it because of time. My point is I share these stories, these memos, because when you reconnect them to the business place and the epicenter, Where all of these incredible terms are hatched, you know, terms like employer brand and onboarding costs and backfilling and inclusion and whole self and allyship and culture and people analytics and business case and cost centers and attrition retention time to fill and all of the other phrases that we love to throw around. Like it goes back to what you said, like, was it worth it to lose these individuals and have perhaps millions more read about our insensitivity to their humanity. That's really what it comes down to. It's not about business. It's not about they were poor employees. Both of these employees were good employees, which is why I when I go out and speak, Julie, it's real simple for me. I'm not getting ready to do a whole bunch of data and charts and, you know, definitions and this, that and the third. I'm going to speak to your heart, because if I speak to your heart, I believe that's where we are. It's not about the keyboard and your research skills. It's about how you show up in the workplace. Can you be a better human?
1: And I've, I've got just one thing to say on this one. So this was actually in the Chelsea office in Google. And it just so happens that I have a client in that same neighborhood. And we absolutely sat and talked about how do we beat Google? How do we keep talent over Google? Guess what's the the first thing I said and and sent over to that client this morning? That's competitive intelligence, and, and it is all about human, and it is all about these kind of things, but it's also about business. And Google continues to allow great talent to be stolen away because they won't fix their culture. And I can guarantee you that if I have anything to do about it, my client will figure out and use this competitive, intelli- competitive intelligence to get some of that talent in a place where they can bring their whole selves to work and benefit from Google's loss.
0: Yeah, no, it's just what it is, man. I mean, again, people right now have an option of where they wish to volunteer. Working to me is voluntary. Like I may receive my W-2 from this employer or that employer, But to me, it's voluntary as to where I want that W-2 to come from. It's voluntary where I want my 1099 to come from. It's voluntary where I want my next gig assignment to come from. And for some of them, that voluntary status lasts a little bit longer than they may want it. The gap may be there a bit longer than they want it to be there. But in the end, it's voluntary. And I firmly believe, like firmly, firmly believe people are going to take less shit from these employers and these leaders and these hiring managers and their colleagues. Even people act the way that they act today is because of all of what they have shouldered. And they just not going ready to lay down and let you stomp on them like that. So I just think that employers need to really fix that. They need to get their game up for real.
1: No, they absolutely do. So I think we're going to call this another episode. Uh, Give me your, your name drop for this week and I'll give you mine.
0: Yeah, mine is real simple. Mr. Bernard Coleman, head of inclusive engagement over at Uber. You can find him on Twitter at Bernard Coleman, number three, Bernard Coleman three. He actually dropped an article on the Thrive global platform addressing parental leave for fathers and so because of the memo that we talked about around parental leave i wanted to hit parental leave from the the man's perspective and he dropped 18 tips around why parental leave for fathers uh is extremely important so he is my name drop for the week.
1: Awesome. And I'm actually going to go back to Minda Hartz. I've been waiting for her book, The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. Uh, It's come out for several months and it's kind of lean in uh, for women of color, which I also read, but I've already downloaded this on my Audible. And I'm going to use it to hopefully teach me to be a better ally to my colleagues who are women of color and just in general, as we move through this life to learn to listen better and act um, in ways that are more impactful. So huge name drop to Menda! Congratulations on the new book. Uh, We're all looking forward to your success.
0: So I think that that does it for this particular episode. We got some great people coming up. We've interviewed some incredible individuals. I'm looking forward to, can we tell them, can we tell them, can we give them a peek? You
1: can tell them. You you can do it.
0: Somebody with an infinity loop out there. um, I think they work for Intel. They've been in the space for a moment. Um. Go ahead and say the name. Go, go ahead and say it.
1: It's it. definitely not. It, it's not a bad shit. Bad nah. infinity loop. It's a beautiful infinity loop, and it's Miss Aline Bailey <laughs> from Intel.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because Aline, uh, Aline, I'm sorry, I always call her Aline, but Aline was she was incredible uh, when we were in Boston. She was even more incredible when we grabbed her up for the pod uh, a couple of weeks back. So yeah, enjoy this episode right here. Then make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend, make sure you subscribe, make sure when you get on one of the podcast platforms that you drop some stars and some comments because the the platforms, they recognize that. And they, you know, tend to give us a little bit of air under our sail when you drop comments, when you put stars, when you subscribe, when you tell friends, do all of those things for us. And then make sure you come back next week for a um, Bailey's so conversation, which Denmark was and Sweden Where are you at right now, Julie, or do you get to relax um, so, for yeah, a week so or so? So, yeah, so just going to do
1: that. And then September and October get crazy. How about you?
0: Cool. I'm on the ground. Uh, I'm cool. Um, just going to be in the studio at Sirius XM this week, ending uh, my series this month on authors, I focused on authors, so make sure you catch some of my uh, shows on demand on Sirius XM channel 126. And if you are around your radio this Sunday afternoon, uh, catch me at uh, 1 p.m. on Sunday. I'm going to be talking to Vinay Singh about income inequality and i'm going to be talking to selma l Wardney from london around feminism and how it shows up inside of the workplace so i got two incredible guests that are going to end the month of august with me on sirius xm
1: sounds awesome
0: to the listeners 1619 project get it get familiar we're ghost
1: see ya Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy in the King on Facebook at our website crazyintheking.com or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cell straight out of Baltimore, and if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya.